0: As the darkness engulfed me, the words of the poet came. A man alone is in bad company. How I love music that moves the tears in my heart to my eyes. Just a wink of that self in time. I am and you are divine. Stars and stones and shadows work the peripheries of my soul.
1: So I'd like to start by asking you this question. I was reading what you wrote in A Call to Unity. You said that growing up in the Catholic Church cannot answer your question. If God is our Father, we are all his children, and God loves us all equally. Why is one child born with no arms and another one whole? Why is one born with every advantage in life and another one with no hope? So I want to ask you, have you found an answer to that question?
0: Oh, yeah. And to me, it's just, uh, embracing the continuity of life. And you could say, all right, let's accept reincarnation. But the death is just the dropping of the body. And so what's the answer then? Why is one bar- born with a disability uh, or every advantage? You say that's the karma the results of our thoughts and actions in the previous life or previous lives. We can't define it,
2: but if we accept that there's a
0: continuity to the spirit, that it goes on, it's not limited to the, this body, then everything begins to make sense. Then there's a justice and there's a payback and whatever. And it's all benign, you see, because to God, it doesn't really matter. Uh, is he loves us regardless. Uh, God is love. And when I realized that, I, the question went away. And then I, all, I, all I wanted to do was
2: learn how to live that day to day.
3: So
1: it's as if you're, you developed a relationship with inequality and just accepting that inequality is a part of nature and contained within everything, like the, the way that the game is set up is not, uh, you know, fairness on the mind level. Like there can never be equality, right? And nature is not like that. It doesn't work like that. And that's okay because it's all a part of love and it all continues to go on and on. Is that right?
0: Well, inequality, that implies a judgment. Mm. And, uh, in nature, there is no judgment. You see, a dog, with black spots, you don't think anything about it. It's still a cute dog. You know, it's a, it doesn't have to be purebred. It doesn't have to be anything. And to the dog, he doesn't even know. Uh, once in Yogaville East, probably I mean, Yogaville West, the first Yogaville, there was a guy that had a dog named Grok, mm. And uh, Grok. it goes back to Robert Heinlein. and uh, <laughs> Yeah. A stranger in a, strange stranger land. in a strange land, yeah. And uh, so this dog became lame on one leg, and so he was loping along on three legs, and then he came lame on the front leg of the same side, and he was going on with two legs. I'd never seen anything like that, you know. Say, so. but uh, Gurdjieff said that about dogs, I really love this. He said, A dog never questions, Why am I a dog? He just does dog things. And so as humans, we cannot question too much and look for somebody to blame. You know, we have to accept what we've been given and then work from there. Understanding that, see, the main tenet of yoga is that you're not the body and you're not the mind. So the more you identify with this, the more stuck you are. So eventually it
2: all breaks down uh in my view and uh, so i don't identify that much myself like that
3: is uh having a relationship with death and maybe meditating on death um being comfortable with
1: it is that uh a path towards liberation or does that liberate us when we're when we're okay with it and we realize it can come anytime does that kind of free us to uh, opening up our our lives and living them, living them the way we want.
0: Well, meditation on death is something that has been recommended, say by Master Shivananda, uh, and uh, he called this the whip. You know, that you you whip yourself. You remember, they said, you say, death can come at any time, and uh, you have the great Ingmar Bergman film, The Seventh Seal, and you've got that dark visage of death, and you know, it's like. Lights down, you up and die, to quote Dave Matthews. You know, it can happen at any time. So remember, yeah, the golden present. Forget about death. You know, it's a transition. It's a door you go through, and we all have to go through it. We've we've been born. We're going to die. What comes, goes. And uh, I just relax around it. You know, I don't expect it. I don't fear it. Uh, I don't meditate on it. If anything, I want to meditate on that
2: golden present. Mm. The
1: golden present,
2: <laughs>
1: yeah. this moment. It's it's enough. Is it something that can be practiced? The more that I remind myself to come back to the present, to be right here, does it get easier to do it?
0: Oh yeah, absolutely. Because when you get to the And he may not be able to stay there all the time. I'm not able to stay there all the time, but sometimes I get the sense that things are flowing through me and that I'm not causing them to happen. And that's a wonderful place to be. I can't describe it more than that.
1: Yeah. Like I'm, I'm not the one doing this. Some other force is the one kind of guiding me in my life, deciding what I'm going to say next, where I'm going to move, giving it up to a higher power, right? That, that feels really good to me. Do you also do a practice like that? Yes, Yeah. very much. Yeah. Uh, the other day you mentioned self-transformation.
3: How would you define, like, what does that mean to transform the self?
2: It means letting go of the concept of I, me, mine, uh,
0: and, in that moment or in that process, other things are revealed. You find, see, people who are involved in art, I think that they approach it. People involved in music where it's something creative is that you have to have that creative spark. And that's when you get the sense of that flow. Uh, and you say things and realize them in the moment that you're saying them. You get a new idea, and it's a solution to a problem. And did you know that before? Maybe not. Maybe you had the skills. Maybe it just came to you. But because I've been involved in construction all my life, I'm constantly presented with a puzzle,
2: Hmm.
0: a problem to fix. And the wonderful thing about construction is that there's always, there's a beginning and there's always an end. It's no matter how bad or how good the job was, ultimately you walk away from it, but you can always look back and see what you did, what accomplishment. A very important part of our human experience is having children in our lives because they're not stuck on that treadmill. And so then we come home and you, if you can relate to your children in a childlike way. It reminds, it pulls out of you the same childlike uh, qualities. Gurdjieff was asked, if you could pick anyone in the world, any historical figure, and spend an hour with them, who would it be? And he said, just put me in a room with a bunch of babies. Mm. Yeah, he said, all the PhDs and whatever, you know, say rulers and this and that, you know, he, he's seen all the big egos. And uh, he's just a room full of babies. they don't have the ego. That's right.
1: They're just just being. Like, to to be self-conscious in the way that we see most adults behaving, like, that's not a possibility for them to be that, that way. It's just, this is the way I am, and I'm doing what feels right, and I'm going by my intuition. There's no other option.
0: Yeah. You know, here at Yogaville, with COVID, it's been shut down for nearly two years. And we just started to open up again. And so the opportunity came for me to teach. And I hadn't taught in two years, even though I've been teaching since 1970. I was unsure, can I, can I find it? Uh, and uh, at the end of the class, you know, I, yeah, I got in, I found that groove again, you know, and I told the class. I said, I felt like I was on my, this was like a first date, and I'm in love again.
1: <laughs> I wanted to ask you about that. Like, what do, you, what do you love about teaching Hatha Yoga?
0: Oh, well, gosh, it's the main thing about teaching Hatha Yoga
2: is to understand that yoga is
0: not about the body. It's about the being. So whether you can stand on your head for half an hour It doesn't matter. It's how you enter in. And if you enter in with a sense of limitation, then you're stuck with that. But if you can open your, your sense of being and make it vast, feel that your breath is coming from out there between the the space, between the stars or something like that. And uh, you can enter in at any time just by relaxing our natural tendency to identify as the body and mind. So I think there's a very important uh, key to relaxing that tendency to identify as the body and mind right there in the front part of the integral yoga class, that you center, you settle, you clear, and then you enter into your practice. And what do you begin first with? Salutation to the sun. You know, and that's about the light within.
2: Uh, it's beautiful I love teaching uh, and it continues to be new for me always I don't get bored with it
3: I feel like there's a reverence there for the template
2: oh absolutely yeah would have said it in the later part of his life I've given you everything that you need
0: so then it's up to you to use it
1: yeah, it reminds me of something that uh, I tell myself sometimes is like, or that I realized I already know everything that I need to know, but now is the
2: hard
3: part, actually putting it into practice,
1: living by your beliefs. The first first process is forming your beliefs, and then now once I, I have those beliefs, now
3: to implement them. Yeah wanted to ask you also about your
0: God. I was just thinking of Bob Dylan, you know, in one of his songs. He says, you talk about brotherly love, show me someone who knows how to live it. You see? So that's where you have a person like the guru who treats everyone equally. I would say our guru, Swami Satchitananda, he was totally at ease, meeting heads of state and religious figures. Wealthy people, movie stars, whatever, or a rickshaw driver, you know, is it one of my favorite pictures of him is sitting in a mud hut. Uh, just, it was all the same. And that's what he showed in his life. It was just look who he picked up uh, along the way, you know, a bunch of wayward kids, you know, who were rejecting the materialism of the post-World War II, uh period and the values of their parents and, shunning
2: uh, the pursuit of things.
0: We wanted something more. And so that's how we got caught in his net. But he wasn't even casting a net to get anybody. He had no purpose in that. He was just surrounded by people that wanted to see the light.
1: Right. That's one of the things that I've Heard him say so many times is that, right, uh, When you stop chasing, you stop seeking, then other things come after you.
0: Oh yeah, he always gives the example of the shadow. You know, he say if you the sun is behind you and you're trying to catch your shadow, you'll never catch it. But if you turn around and face the light, then the shadow chases you. <laughs> yeah, yeah. he always he drew so many messages and lessons from nature.
1: That's such an example, I think of of something that, like, to actually practice it, is so deep. Like, it's easy to say and to intellectualize, like, okay, uh, if I'm not seeking, if I'm not trying to get anything of my life, that everything that I need is just going to automatically come back to me. I don't have to try to get it. As soon as I release that desire, then it's going gonna, it's gonna to come to me and I'm going to be okay. But to actually do that... <laughs>
0: Yeah, because you can't you can't live in this, uh, with the idea that oh I'm going to give up this and then I'm going to get that. See this expectation. Yeah. No, it's it's like his lesson is give give give. So what? Master Shivananda's chants were so nice, you know. Serve, love, give, purify, meditate, realize, be good, do good, be compassionate. You know, it's a, it wasn't so. Complicated, uh, you know, stand on your head for 20 minutes every day or, you know, repeat these mantras, this and that. No, just be good. Because the very foundation of yoga is first, the yama and niyama is first, even before you think of practicing meditation, first be a good person. Hmm. The ethical and moral perfections are the foundation of all the rest. And it's like a a flower or a plant growing, you know, they say it's, it's going to happen in the nature's way again and again. He said, you want to have these qualities in your life and say, just do this. Nature takes care of everything else. You can't force it along.
2: So simple. Yeah. So is it, is it
1: looking at problems as an opportunity really feeling that, that when challenges or a problem comes into my life, that there's there's something there um, that's going to benefit me, that's happening for, for a
3: reason. Uh, and I don't need to run away from it. I can turn into it.
0: Well, happening for a reason, it's not like it's pointed at you. You just happen to be there. But, yeah, that is part of the fun. It's like, who doesn't like a puzzle? You know? And that that's what they are for me. I I like a little puzzle. I'm reminded here of uh, back to Hatha Yoga is that Gurudev had a way of doing things that were very graceful the way he would gesture in a puja or something like that and the way he did Surya Namaskar he'd begin with the pranam and then he would roll his hands inward like towards the heart and then the thumbs would automatically lock and then when he come out at the end you know then Mm. it's like closing a book and uh it's just, and someone asked him, you know, about this puja, why did you do it like that? He said, because it's pretty. <laughs> you know, and so we like things that are pretty. Why? Because they make us feel good. It's like, who cannot resist the beautiful face of a baby? There's absolutely no self-consciousness there, and you can even be silly. With a baby, but you're not going to be silly with me because you want to be cool or you want to be intelligent or you want to be respected or whatever it is. You know, you're not going to be silly like you would with an infant, you know, but what did Gurudev say? Put me in a room with a bunch of babies. Mm. No?
1: One of the other things I wanted to ask you about was uh, being emotional, especially as, as a man um, and releasing that emotion, being vulnerable, like kind of what you're saying is that it's maybe easier when I'm around a baby because they're accepting and I can be silly. I can be myself, whatever it is, but to to kind of relax into whatever it is I'm, I'm experiencing. And if I'm experiencing like an emotional release that that's, that's okay. Um, but my experience from, you know, I don't know, just growing up and being a man, uh, and I think maybe many is it's not really acceptable mm-hmm. to, you know, to cry, to show to show emotion. And even though now I, I I feel the benefit of it, when I am able to do it, it's it's like, wow, that's an amazing release. That feels very, very healthy. But there's such a block and a resistance um that's there it makes it very difficult for me to uh to go there. And I'm wondering if there's uh, if that block exists for you, um, and if there's anything that allows you to, you know, move past it or through it, um, and have those those release releases of emotion,
0: I cry all the time. Yeah, I can. This cry just like that. You know, I'm I'm ridiculous. I'm ridiculous with it. You know, and my kids all know this. And I'll I'll tell you a poem.
2: And I. Uh, It was uh, how I love music
0: that moves the tears in my heart to my eyes. I couldn't do that if I tried. And that is why I believe in the truth of feeling above the power to reason my way. I wish I could cry every day. And I should map the course of my tears so that when I feel lost, I could find my way clear to get back to my soul to that breakaway moment of unity, of certainty, whole. I feel the edge of myself now, like a curtain of light. Satori is not so far away, just a wink of that self in time. I am, and you are divine. I want the company of those who stir up the river of tears I've stored to flow and flood down all the days. Until the bliss of always.
2: I recommend crying, you know, and never wipe your tears away. Wear them, wear them happily. Yeah. <laughs> what I what I got from that tuning in is is the uh,
3: the glory in feeling just the experience of of just feeling so powerful, maybe holding that in the highest place, uh,
2: above, above the mind, above words, just to feel, allow myself to feel. Years ago, I used to camp on the ridge below the Lotus Center, Lotus Conference Center. We called
0: it the Brick House in those days. It's one where we first, everyone lived. We had 22 people living there in the 80s uh, before we
2: had anything else. And uh, we're almost to January now. It's like the world is turning. And we go through this dark period, and the light comes anyway. So I was camping on the ridge, and
0: first light comes before the dawn. As wind across the mountains emerges from beyond, the cold of future present wakes me with a shiver. Stars and stones and shadows work the peripheries of my soul. How can I not listen? How can I not respond? As I dive into this stream and join the current's flow, I sense my spirit can divine the source and power of this design. And as myself, as me, I marvel at the
2: mystery and truth of simply being. How do you spell happiness? How do you spell bliss? How do you spell eternity? How do you spell this moment? How do you spell I am? I am. I am. I am. am. Nature brings those things to us, brings those lessons. And if we get quiet enough, we hear it. Hmm. Comes to me is this relationship with words, and
1: realizing the limitation. Right, I, th- I feel like that's what you're asking. Right, how can I spell happiness? How can I spell bliss or I am? These these experiences, the the emotions of them are so
3: far beyond words. What I find is that.
2: Often we think that words
3: can explain it all.
1: But I've I've found a lot of benefit in, in, in a way putting words what I feel is in like in a more proper place. Like words are fine, they're helpful, we get to communicate with them, but not to think that they're everything or they can describe a feeling.
2: They can't. Well, I hear what you're saying. Gurdjieff often spoke, it probably a Tamil proverb, you know, that it's just said, just keep quiet.
0: <laughs> you know, he was, yeah, all the waves in the mind, we can make a mountain out of a molehill, that's for sure. And we do it all the
2: time. Uh, to fall in love with the silence. That, That's been my experience. It's a love affair with Mm -hmm. silence. And It's interesting, you know, those
1: moments of, you know, it feels maybe a little bit uncomfortable or awkward to be with someone in silence, right? Words fill those
3: gaps. It's like playing with sitting, sitting with that discomfort, allowing it to be, moving through it,
2: no big deal. Looking
3: back, uh, I feel that at that time, you know, when you first were getting started with yoga, what, the the late 60s, early 70s, perhaps
1: it was a little bit trendy in some circles, but to make a life of it, to you know, follow a guru and live at ashrams. That I don't think was a very usual thing for uh, an American to be
3: doing, you know, at that time. What do you think gave you the courage to follow a more unconventional path like that?
0: I was inspired. And uh, when I give the walking tour, the driving tour of Yogaville, you know, I reference that and I say that in the, 70s, you know, we were just kids. Probably did many of us had never balanced a checkbook, you know, whatever. We were in our 20s, and uh, but we were so inspired. We were having retreats with 525 people, Yogaville West, Yogaville Santa Barbara, Yogaville East in Connecticut, you know, but all those had each, each location had their problems and. The first one was that we were just kids and we didn't know how to build community. We weren't mature individuals at that time, but we were inspired. And so there's a core of us that have survived from that era. And many of them are here at Yogaville now. And uh, so now they're in their 70s, some of them older. And uh,
2: I think that that inspiration Um, and how do I define that? It was like, it's like to be part of something
0: that is transcendent, that transcends the materialism of the world and the the avarice and building community has just been uh, a lifelong thing for me. And maybe I didn't have to think about it that much. I, I had a skill and it
2: allowed me to be a functional part of building community. Uh, But that was all just a a part of it, I don't
0: know. But it's been a great adventure, you know, having been part of several of these experiments and I call them experiments because until this time in Virginia, when we were in Connecticut, that's where we really became a family. When everything uh, was concentrated there in Santa Barbara, a very exclusive community, they didn't want to see lotus. And so Gretchen said, okay, they don't get it. You know, so that property was sold. The Yogoville West was a hundred-year-old hot spring resort, badly dilapidated, needed a big infusion of money. There was no money. You know, Connecticut was a 57-year, a 57-room mansion built by a wealthy family as a summer home, you know, and it had been a Catholic seminary when we bought it. And uh, so that's where we concentrated, but there was no land around to build community and no contiguous site for Lotus. So that's why we started looking south, not to mention that there was four feet of snow in the wintertime there. And uh, here in Virginia, at this location, all those pieces came together. That we had land around where people could build homes. And we had a site for Lotus in this incredible western panorama of the Blue Ridge Mountains and the Valley of the James River. Wonderful setting.
1: Do you ever feel overwhelmed with the amount of experiences that you've had in, in your life? All the places that you've lived and the people that you've loved? And- everything that you've, that you've gone through, uh, is it, is it just appreciation for your adventure or is there also, um,
3: part of you that's just, yeah, overwhelmed
1: by the amount of things that have happened?
0: Well, overwhelmed in the tense, in the sense that I could not have designed it. Mm. I couldn't have made it happen. Uh, so that's kind of,
2: you know, goes into the surfing, that uh, it's one thing after another. And then four children and uh, just the
0: unpredictability of family life, you know, on, on everything else. Uh, it's been beautiful. I, I have no regrets.
2: And no. Uh, Overwhelmed? No. Overwhelmed with gratefulness. Yeah, I'm very grateful. There have been some hard periods, and I accept those also.
1: Something I feel that serves many people is Lotus. And uh, I was reading some of your writing about uh, ecumenicism and I felt like a real importance in that work of, of bringing different religions and traditions together and uh, unity and diversity. Um, can you speak a little bit about that, your feelings about unity and diversity and why that's so important?
0: It's absolutely fundamental. And uh, that's what drew me in to the IYI, that uh, I was— Learning about yoga, I'd read Autobiography autobiography of a Yogi. And when I came to the IYI and I saw these books by Master Shivananda saying this about Christianity, this about Judaism, this about Islam, this about Zoroastrianism, whatever ism it was, you know, and in a universal way. And then I knew that I was in the right place. Uh, And that's what Lotus is about. And when I give the tour of Yogaville, you say, when you look at Lotus, there's a, a archway. On the right hand side is the uh, reception building on the left hand side is the display hall. In the display hall, it gives historical telling of the construction of Lotus. But beyond that wall, let me back up and say, across the wall are all the symbols of the major religions, plus. The others that we don't know about, and the others that, are whatever you know, but they're all there, and so it's, in the plans it was called the Venturi wall. Now uh, a carburetor is an hourglass shape, so you have a funnel at the top, and the vacuum of the created by the cylinders draws in the air. So we could say the vacuum in our heart draws in our attention. And it funnels in, and where it's the smallest diameter, that's when the fuel is injected in a carburetor, and then it expands as it ignites and gives power, and the the engine runs, and the vehicle is propelled. So in the same way, we approach from all the various influences we've had, traditions and religions, whatever, we approach the truth, and we get down here. You know, when you approach the Venturi wall, that's when the light comes in. And then you go the other side and it's expanded. Your awareness is expanded. That's the symbology here. Now, at Lotus, beyond that wall, there is no representation of Swami Satyatananda except for on the upper level, level of the meditation hall, the imprint of his feet, his knees, his hands, and his forehead as he knelt in wet cement, bowing to the light. He always emphasized the light. Part of his teaching was, hey, the guru, he's just a ladder. He's just a signpost. You see a signpost that says Charlottesville, 50 miles. You can bow to the signpost. You can... Garland it, you can burn some incense, you can say some prayers, but when are you going to get to Charlottesville? When you start to walk. You know, so don't worship the guru. Use him as a ladder. Use him as a signpost, because it's all within. That's part of the beautiful symbology here of of Lotus, is that once you go through the Venturi wall, then the light is in you full and ready to express. That's the spirit with which you should approach it. And beyond that, say, what? Guru, disciple, they're
2: all the same. Have
1: we done that a little bit? Focused uh, most of our attention on placing garland around the ladder, the signposts, um, and not Uh, as much attention on the actual light itself?
0: I think that it's a natural tendency.
2: Yeah. I mean, in Hindu tradition uh,
0: it's very common to touch the feet of a saint, of a holy master, of a guru, you know. And uh, But I never felt that that's what Gurudev wanted from me. He wanted me to be functional. He wanted me to be useful. You know, you say, yes, sir, no, sir, that's not a good idea, sir. And whatever, you know, they're always respectful, of course. But uh, he didn't want me getting in his way when he was walking through the room, you know, and so I, I didn't get into that, you know, but I found ways to be useful.
1: Seeing you talk about the carburetor it made me think that that uh, there's secrets in nature. Oh, Yeah. And to discover that maybe that's what being a builder is about—is like you you learn certain secrets about nature, and once you once you get it, you've understood the the way that nature works. That that secret now I can build something. Now I can utilize. It. Yeah, is that what's going on?
0: So many of Gurdas' lessons came from nature. He grew up on a farm. His father was, I guess, a moderately wealthy person. He had land, you know, but. Gurdiv gave lessons from the animals, from the field hands and whatever, you know, and I remember he was saying that uh, uh, one thing that has always stuck with me is he said that there was no paper, there was no written books. Everything was taught in meter and rhyme, the history, the mathematics, the scriptures, Everything. And that if you pick up a chain from one link, all the rest of the chain comes along. And that's why you have the meter and rhyme. So that, it was like, if I want, if a word comes up for me, then all of a sudden you have a whole Bob Dylan song, Mm -hmm. or you have a whole poem, or something like that. And uh, that's a secret to how we learn how our minds work. I don't read very much these days, you know, I haven't, but when there's some meter and rhyme to it, you know, then it really sticks.
1: So even thinking about like all the the technology, you know, like the internet, all of that is a product of learning the secrets of nature.
0: Uh, probably as it can lead you away from it,
1: too. <laughs> <laughs> perhaps. Right? Yeah. You get uh, too caught up in the one secret. Not expanded to see more of the whole picture, perhaps.
0: Well, if everyone is, you know, just thumbing their devices and this and that, you know, it, it separates individuals. That's why it's important, see, to do things together and choirs and singing and sports and uh gardening or whatever the things that link you to others that's where the rubbing and scrubbing comes on you know as a the internet is very useful but it's also very distracting
3: distraction distraction from
1: like the elemental aspects of of life it feels very healthy to, to grow food.
0: Um, well, or to connect.
1: Yeah, to connect.
0: Mm-hmm. To connect with an individual, yeah. with individuals. Uh, and when, when the power goes down, what are you left with? Right. You know, then it's just you and me here. And what are we going to do? We're going to scrounge up something to eat and how do we make a fire? How do we get water? And things like that become much more essential than the daily news.
1: Did you always see early on the benefits of living in community uh, and how powerful that is to feel connected to a you know, larger family, a Sangha?
0: Oh, absolutely.
1: And, and, and is that much, a much more practical way of us uh, to be living as opposed to trying to do everything you know, on our own in a little nuclear family to extend out and be a part of something? larger
0: i would say absolutely Is like none of us were born alone right we have parents we have family you know but ultimately we're gonna go outside that circle and so the circle gets bigger and bigger and bigger and then you form community so then what do you do you know churches and schools and fire departments when we first moved down here the first thing I did was join the fire department and the rescue squad and uh, become part of this circle down here in Buckingham Uh, I think that's a natural a natural thing
3: Mm. you feel grateful to have lived much of your life in community
2: oh yeah
0: years ago I was watching a documentary about Jacques Cousteau, he was exploring uh, one of the big liners that had been torpedoed in the, in the war. And you see the side of the ship and a big gaping hole in it. And there's Jacques Cousteau swimming in and he's narrating. And he says, as the darkness engulfed me, the words of
2: the poet came, a man alone is in bad company. Mm. believe that
0: it's a Guru that gave the you, uh, you know the, the example he says oh uh, there was a great yogi living in a cave somewhere and people found out about him and they approached him and said you know Swamiji you know what have you learned you know this a, I've conquered anger you know really you conquered anger
2: <laughs> yes I never get angry and uh
0: No, really. Never? You never get angry. Look, I told you I never get angry. You know? (laughs) And so no, it's a That's not the setup. Serve, love, give, purify, meditate, realize, be good, do good, be kind, be compassionate. Teaches Master Shivananda are just amazing. So simple. And Gurudev was already a very accomplished yogi when he met Master Shivananda, But Master Shivananda's teaching was so simple and so sublime. And his view outward was with such equality. Yet he was totally joyful and playful, like a child. Uh, my late wife and I were traveling in India, and we went to Rishikesh, and we went to Ananda Kutir, the abode of Master Shivananda, and they had a room about this size, say twenty by forty, something like that, and had a kirtan. Kirtan was in Hindi. We couldn't follow. And so the next day I asked the Swami in charge if I could lead a chant. And he said, Yeah, I'll call on you. So he called on me and I led the Shivananda English chants. And uh, say the 1880s. Uh, uh, Serenity, regularity, absence of vanity,
4: sincerity, simplicity, veracity, equanimity, fixity, non-irritability, adaptability, humility, tenacity, integrity, nobility, magnanimity, honesty, generosity, purity. Practice daily these 1880s. You will soon attain immortality.
0: Swami in charge, as I was leaving, he said, come back every day. <laughs> <laughs> you know, it's like, wow, you know, here's some some guy from America comes and gives these sublime teachings that Master Shivananda used to give on a daily basis. And, uh, Yeah, that was good fun. Well, our children grew up with that. That's why I know them by heart is because I had four kids go through Vigilium. Yeah. But that's the spirit. See, when Gurudev was asked, what can you say about Master Shivananda? He says, there's really not much to say. uh,
2: I gave myself to him. He works through me. That's all I know. Thanks so much for taking the time to do this. It's
3: a blessing for me. Would you be up for leading us in a in a chant to close us out?
2: Sure. Now, uh, right to honor my my late wife Vidya, she was very much into the mother. And Navaratri comes around, you know, as a, uh, she liked, uh, anyway, I, I found some verses to go with. Durga uh,
4: Lakshmi uh, Saraswati <sighs> Amaterasu Yin Mari Durga Lakshmi Saraswati Amaterasu Kwanyan Marie Durga Lakshmi saraswati amaterasu kwanin marie durga lakshmi saraswati amaterasu kwanin marie mother nature manifests these aspects of divinity by your grace may we perceive your face in all the forms we see Durga Lakshmi Saraswati, Amaterasu Kuan Yin Marie. Durga Lakshmi Saraswati, Amaterasu Kuan Yin Marie. Power, wisdom, prosperity, light of natural harmony, lead us with compassionate grace peace for all in our embrace. Durga Lakshmi Saraswati Amaterasu Kwanyan Marie. Durga Lakshmi Saraswati Amaterasu Kwanyan
2: Marie. Om, 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 Om.
3: Thanks for listening. If you've enjoyed this content and think others might as well, please feel free to share and subscribe.